Hello and welcome to the SIPS Queensland podcast where we interview Queensland professionals to get an insight to their careers, their highs, their lows, their wisdom and their advice. So let's check out today's podcast guest. This month's episode is with Billy Gorman. She is an expert at sourcing projects across transport, media, services, food and manufacturing, financial services, construction and mining industry. She's helped develop and implement major procurement strategies, category management frameworks, as well as preferred supply scorecards in Australia and at international companies such as Oracle, Thies, Suncorp, BOQ, Parmalat, and London Underground. In today's episode, we are going to be covering her journey through procurement, her biggest challenges, her experience as a woman in procurement, how much she has seen this industry change over the years, her biggest lessons that she has learned, her essential skills that she believes that we need in procurement, as well as the top trends and focuses for this year. So let's get straight into this episode. Okay. Welcome back to the SIPS Queensland podcast. My name is Ashley Turner and I am your host today. And with me, I have the amazing Billy. Welcome, Billy. Hey, Ash. Hi. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. I know. I was about to say, I can't remember if you've left the the SIPS committee. That's also an issue. Currently, one, I had this mind blank, but you were part <laughs> of it for a long time. That's why I stopped when, oh my gosh, what do I say? <laughs> Look, I think um, I think I have moments where I get overwhelmed with work and family, like every human being does, and I go, I can't, I can't commit as much as I would want to, and I'm not putting in the effort. So then I take a bit of a step back. But at the moment, I'm not actively involved in the Queensland committee, but I do try and yeah. show up to as many events when we can have them um, as possible. Um, but I am still heavily involved in the Profession Steering Committee which um, we meet regularly and have some amazing things and topics that we're focused on. So I am still involved. I'm still at SIPs. I'm really loving what Sharon's doing for SIPs in this region. So, yeah, it's, um, it's still an exciting role for me to play, although I'm sure like all of us, we'd like to do more, but uh, there's only so many hours in the day and, um, yeah. Yes. You're one of the original OGs of the SIPS Queensland Committee anyway, so you've got to be part of it regardless if you're actually in it or not, I swear. We would lean on you all the time anyway for your wisdom. <laughs> like, help us. What should we do? So, I you. remember funny stories. So Jonathan Dutton was the MD of Australia at the time and they were just starting out with SIPS. Um, and I remember being oh, seven, eight months pregnant when I turned up to speak to him about being on the committee. And I remember stressing to my husband, because we just moved back from the UK where SIPS was very um, dominant over there and I'd just become MSIPS. I remember saying to my husband, oh, he's going to look at me and he's just going to go, oh my God, look at you, you're so pregnant. How on earth could you be on a committee? And I imagined there'd be a room of a hundred or more people all wanting to get on this little Queensland committee to sort of, you know, be the foundational committee. And there were, I don't know, five of us. <laughs> so it's like, I was like, oh. But I remember Jonathan just looking at me, just going, uh, yes, and now please go home because I don't want you to have the baby in the room. <laughs> it was so quite funny. <laughs> yeah, that, that baby is 19 um, tomorrow. So, yes, it's been a long time <laughs> that I've the been involved in The original OG right there. <laughs> wow, jeez. 
that's long. Oh, that's a long time as well. And you you would have seen so many changes throughout all of your career as well. Um, and we'll get into all those sort of questions. And I've I said offline, we'll make this short and sharp. Knowing you and I, we can talk for hours and hours. <laughs> Let's just be thankful we haven't got wines in our hand, or this would be like a yes. four-hour podcast. Let's Sorry. be respectful for the people who have to listen to it. <laughs> exactly. So I'm going to kick off with the most cliche question that we always ask in procurement, and I know that because it makes my eye twitch too. But it's a great segue. How did you fall into procurement? It's not like you probably woke up and went, "I'm going to be a procurement manager." How did it all happen for you? Mm. Well, um, I fell out of journalism, I think is probably what I would say. So I went to London on a one-way ticket, wanting to go over there. I just got my journalism and economics and political science degree. Literally that morning, I found out I'd passed, got on my flight, went to London, went over there to try and do a bit of volunteering for Oxfam and get a job as a journalist. And the pay was, oh, look, £7,000 per annum or something. What? ridiculous I know and I was like I can't live on that I'm living in London I'm living my best yeah. life I can't live on that so I thought oh, I'll just go temping and come back to journalism later you know I'll do that later um so I went temping for I think 14,000 pounds a year so it was double to be a temp in a project team and then I saw um Russ Mason, who now lives in Australia, was running an IT procurement team for London Underground, and they looked like they were having a lot of fun. Um, Guy Schofield, who's also working in Australia as well, was in that team, and I was like, they look like they have a lot of fun. And Guy was an Aussie, and they were, you know, like a bit loud. And so I went over and I just said to Russ, hey, I really like, you know, the vibe over here. <laughs> Can I move across? He had to hide me under the table. It sounds ridiculous, and it was a lot of fun, but he had to tell the person that I was working for that he I was moving across and she, she was known to have, you know, a bit of a temper. So <laughs> I'm hiding under the desk while you tell her. <laughs> that's my recollection of it anyway, Ash. It was a long time ago, but that's how I fell. No, I don't know. I chose. I chose to move into procurement. But, um, yeah, I know a lot of people um, – fall into procurement, you know, and then love it and don't leave it. But, yeah, I think, I, I think I'm one of the few that actually chose it. I didn't study it at university. I didn't even know what it was um, back then. But certainly that team seemed to be having a lot of fun. Um, so, yeah. What did you think it was versus, like, now? Like, you now buying know stuff. what it is. Yeah. Just buying stuff, yeah. I was a junior buyer, though, so that's really what all, all, all I was doing was just making sure requisitions got from, you know, from us to, to through the system and to the supplier. So I just thought it was buying stuff. And then, you know, as you evolve and you know more, it's about, you know, the scope and the specification. You know, it was IT procurement, so there was a lot of technical knowledge. I fell in love with, like, software development and that, that sort of side of the IT procurement world. Um, and, yeah, I, I like the diversity of, procurement you know because even in technology you could be talking about you know networks or satellite uplinks or software developers or software you know platforms 
Um, so even then, or it was, you know, contracts or it was meeting with a supplier to talk about a new product or, you know, the diversity of people even, you know, from I, one of my very, very good friends, and I hope I can send the link to him and he'll listen to it, John Lichnovich was working at London Underground and he's still a good friend of mine today. We're probably, you know, 30 years older, but um, I remember bouncing into his cubicle and he was the chief architect at London Underground and I was like hey what do you do I'm Billy I'm from Australia and I've just moved into procurement <laughs> and he was just like oh okay well um okay. let me tell you what we do and so yeah so you know you know and I know that you know one of the things that I love about procurement is that being curious just opens up all of this world and you know whether it's strategy and thinking about you know operating models you know for 50 various functions in the organization or whether it's simply just getting someone what they need then in there to make you know their world a lot easier it has such a broad spectrum of you know issues and problems that are there to be solved opportunities to create value over and above the dollar you know it's just uh yeah i love it i love it i really can't you know talk about it more we um at rio we did a review um, I'm sorry, I'm probably jumping all over the place, so forgive yeah, me. But yeah. we, did a, we did a review um, last year that I was fortunate enough to lead because I was quite new to Rio. Um, and, you know, and I remember saying to the VP, thank you because I'm so passionate about us getting this right, you know, because, you know, everywhere has an opportunity to improve. It's processes, how we do things, you know, where we invest in either technology, you know, AI, digitization is you know, very topical for a lot of organisations. So, yeah, so, but I'm just really passionate about, you know, what we can do for organisations. So it's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's one of those functions that can, you will find a strength somewhere. Like if you're really introverted or really extroverted or really like creative or really like, you know, logical right down to the sort of fact, you will find somewhere. And it's the one area in the business where you can see the differences you're making. It's not just something yeah. that's spreadsheet. It's like live and breathing and you can see it. And it's it's really rewarding, isn't it, seeing it all? Absolutely. I th and I think what's disappointing is that, um, you know, and I'm going to be really frank here, is that we are a risk prevention department right procurement was initially put in place because we couldn't trust the business going directly to suppliers hashing out a deal putting a contract in place you know we needed some whether it be you know um unbiased or you know splitting roles and responsibilities however you want to label it we were brought in to help create some you know um unbiased view on what people bought you know and i think now we've got rules on top of us. So if you think about it, you're in the business and you want to buy, I don't know, let's make it easy, a mobile phone. And you go through procurement to get a mobile phone and then procurement have got 15 rules that they have to comply with. And then you hear it, oh, I have to go through procurement. And so it's so disappointing for me that quite often we get seen as just a process, you know, part of a, a transaction. And and I really would love for procurement as a function to find a way of automating that process so humans don't have to touch it. It follows rules that are defined and then humans touch the big stuff, the strategy stuff, the complex stuff, you know, because I do think that 
we do ourselves a disservice by creating all these rules, being the gatekeepers for audit, for risk, for compliance, you know, then the function gets blamed for, you know, perceived bottlenecks that we're creating. So for me, ambitiously, I mean, I would love for us to find a way where, you know, risk, audit, compliance, you know, all the rules are taken care of automatically and then it's just the things that pop out of that they're a little bit unusual or unique and then you know we get to focus on the big complex meaty stuff the cool stuff yeah yeah stuff that us little procurement nerds love (laughs) i used to always say um i'm the relationship counselor like the the companies the wife the vendors the husband i'm just here to facilitate the issues (laughs) that come up i'm switzerland i'm your relationship counselor and they used to always laugh but once you step back to all of it ideally it's really the people that tend to be the issues when it, all the behaviors or the culture or all that sort of perceptions and stuff so you really feel like you're a bit of a counselor at times between bringing everyone all together absolutely yeah you're absolutely right yep my next question for you which i think we're sort of touching on what has been some of your biggest challenges in procurement over your career oh look you know um I, I was quite a small, youngish female when I started out in a, you know, engineering, um, you know, companies. So, um, and I worked in a lot of engineering-based companies, male-dominated companies when I was, um, you know, in my mid to late 20s, all, all through my career. Gosh, I'm at Rio now. So, um, you know, um, I, I think... I didn't find it challenging being a woman in an office or a woman in a boardroom or um, a woman in a meeting. I guess I'm lucky and fortunate enough to have confidence on my side and and a bit of attitude. Um, maybe that's because I'm an only child, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but I never found that to be an issue. What I found to be an issue, and, you know, and it happened at a few com- companies, was that that ability to build strong networks in the workplace as a woman. So the boys would go golfing, the boys would go cycling when cycling took over from golfing, the boys would go to the pub. And I remember in particular in London, um, uh, not at London Underground, at a different company I worked at, that culture of after work drinks was really strong. And I hated missing out on that ability to build those really strong personal relationships with work colleagues because I was, you know, a female. Um, and it definitely was frowned about. You got a, you know, that you got reputation, you know, like it was just awful. The culture was just awful. Um, I'd like to think it's not like that now. You know, I wouldn't hesitate going for, you know, a coffee with a male colleague or something like that. I think those days are well and true. Well, hopefully they're gone. Um, and women do a strong role in that, by the way, because we were often the ones calling out the, you know, being the problem, you know. Um, yeah. Yes, the men were creating that situation, but we weren't kind to each other back then either. Yeah. Um, so that that's one of the sort of challenge, challenges coming through the ranks. I don't have that now. I think the other one, and it's probably not unique to procurement, is building really good teams. So you can hire really good individuals and you can train and coach and lead really good individuals, but getting really great teams that work well together is such a um, 
a challenging thing to do because first you have to, you know, hire them. Then you have to get them to all play nicely in the sandpit while they work out who's who. And then, you you know, you see how they transform. And, you know, when you have worked in really, really great teams, everybody knows it. You know, the whole team knows it. And I quite often hear um, from some of the old teams that I've managed to getting them and hanging on to them is the other thing but they all you know look back on that with such fondness because it's it's probably one of the biggest challenges I think um is yeah creating exceptional teams and then keeping them yes 100% agree with you with all of that my next sort of question goes around um you know experience in procurement as a woman so you've just take you know taken us through some of the challenges you've seen what have been some of the massive changes and that might be with people or even with just processes or trends from when you first started 19 years ago to now plus plus plus, <laughs> plus. <laughs> that's between you and me though <laughs> yeah um definitely the conversation has changed you know and that's that's wonderful you know organizations are whether it be a quota system or whether it just be you know focused on the topic organizations are having the the conversation um they're asking themselves some tough tough questions about culture diversity equity so that's a really good thing and i think that that then um when that comes from leadership that then empowers everybody in the organization to have a voice um, so that's the first thing. Tolerance is another thing I think that, you know, as a society, we no longer tolerate um, things that were quite systemic and it still have a, a systemic element to them. You know, I think if you've got Grace Tame here, she'd say, what do you mean things have changed? You know, she's quite, quite angry about, you know, the past year and how little she saw change. And I think, you know, that that's so disappointing um, for her and for all of us to have her reach that but um and I don't want to make this political but I do think that you know we have got some systemic issues we've got prejudices we don't even know we've got because they've been with us for however long we've been on this on this world and we need to challenge ourselves and I see my daughters so wonderfully challenging their father right who has you know got very you know views one way or another and they are holding him account and, you know, whether it's, you know, making a side comment about somebody walking down the street or whether it's about an actual conversation at the dinner table, they will call him out on that. And I love that. I love, I love that. that. So probably a bit more broader than just what I've seen in procurement. Um, I do think that I see a lot of women in procurement now, you know, um, if I look across our floor, um, there's a lot of, you know, women in procurement um, and it's not. You know, it used to be, oh, they bring the soft skills. Uh, you know, I'm not going to get into that debate. I'm not equipped to have that 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 discussion. But what I will say is that they're also pretty shrewd when it comes to, you know, negotiations as well. So, you know, I think, um, you know, just talented people deserve to be, you know, employed regardless of gender. And so, um, but one of the things that I've seen is that women are definitely getting opportunities in, in the procurement space. Um, we, look... You know, I don't think we're unusual. Rio is really celebrating women in procurement. We have a program that we run um, 
Visna Reitman, um, our GM of Global Indirects, leads that as a champion for that um, across the broader procurement family globally. Um, and every month or so, we have, you know, really good keynote speakers that give up their time, their former CEOs or, you know, um, Paralympians, you know, champions in their field that come and talk to us about a strength that they have that got them through a difficult, you know, situation or how they achieve the unachievable. So, yeah, so we, we definitely put the spotlight on women um, and in particular women in procurement, which is great because that's you and that's me. Um, and it certainly helps the conversation and it helps, you know, maybe talk about some difficult topics if they arise. I don't know. I really like that we do it because com it comes with, you know, um, broader conversations that aren't all just about gender. Yeah. They are far broader and everybody gets invited to the women in procurement forums, not just the Love women. It. Um, so, yeah, so it's a great initiative that business kicked off since she's been at Rio, which is wonderful. I love that because one of my questions I was going to ask, and you hear it all the time out there with at our procurement sort of events and stuff like that, is women um, with their lack of confidence and sometimes their self, they doubt themselves a lot when wanting to apply for a role, going, oh, I don't think so. How have you helped empower your team of women to go, no, go for it, girl? Like you have a right to be there and just trust in your own abilities. Yeah, look, I've even suffered imposter syndrome many times in my career. Um, but I think, you know, honestly, it's just brutally saying to women, if you don't give it a go, you'll never know, right? So yeah. what have you got to lose? Yeah. Um, the, the worst that can happen is you don't get the role or you don't get the opportunity. But be visible, be present, um, you know, don't hide in a corner and then expect people to notice you. Yeah. You know, put your hand up for something that you think might be a stretch, but ask for support and coaching from either, um, you know, a senior person in the team, you know, your manager or even a peer if you think they've got strengths in something that you maybe need to to, to get to yeah. make you fully fully feel like you're competent in the role. Get feedback, you know, put check-ins, be proactive in that space. But I think brutally just calling out you know to any young women that have ever come to me and said what do you think you know I've just said be bold and back yourself because no one else will like let's face it you know mum and dad aren't there anymore to pat you on the back and give you your packed lunch and send you out yeah. the door I my wish. children would laugh <laughs> at that saying when did you ever do that for me mom but you yes. know like <laughs> mum and dad aren't there to do that anymore so if you aren't you know belt and bracing yourself up for a challenge then Nobody else does. But get into, like, there's so much out there now, you know, the wonderful world of, you know, Ben Crow's mojo, you know, who coached Ash Barty back into her success and did a whole lot of work with another, you know, a lot of champions. Dylan Orcott is another one. You know, you can get him, you can get Ben Crow's program I don't know. I'm not trying to advocate for it, but it's like $250 or something for 12 months or for the for the um the thing. And you could actually do, you know, his online version of what he does with these elite athletes or do a five-minute journal in the morning or, you know, get yourself into a habit of telling yourself positive affirmations to, to build yourself up and get your own self-worth up to the level that it needs to be. And, you know, no one else needs to look more further than you, Ash, in terms of a woman who's built yourself up, right? So, 
you know, it's possible even from yeah. the worst situations that you might be starting from. So, yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I kind of kick them up the bum and say, you know, <laughs> believe in yourself, you know. Gosh, look at you. Look at where you are. Yeah. We're very similar like that. And I would love to know from you, what has been some of your biggest lessons you have learned in your career? Oh, ask questions. Even if it's a stupid question, ask questions. You know, it comes from that number one thing that I said about being curious before. Um, but, you know, be humble, ask questions. Quite often you won't you won't even be looked at twice, right? If you ask a question and you're like, oh, my God, this is such a stupid question, I don't want to ask it, but ask questions. So the biggest lesson I've learned in my career is ask questions. And if I am a bit intimidated to ask in front of a forum because I'm supposed to be the most senior person, and, I mean, it really, ha it really happens that I'm the most senior person in the room, but it really happens that I don't kind of, you know, grab that strength that I tell other people to grab and ask the – and I may be even – precursor by going hey guys I know that I'm you know the least technical person in the room so forgive yeah. me if this is really stupid um yeah. but then ask the question and I think quite often you get people in the room then layering on that and saying oh but and it so it sort of builds on that so be curious ask questions that's probably one of the biggest lessons in my career I think look I'm not typical right so I don't like covering my backside you know I don't like working with people who have that philosophy um sure and you know if that's how, what you want to do to get you know up in your career then that's your choice but I do definitely think that you know having a conversation um is much better than having a debate on email so you know, pick up the phone, get on a Teams yeah. meeting, have a conversation, don't go into battle on email. No one ever wins out of that because even if you're right, you look bad. You look no stupid. one ever wins. Yeah. <laughs> um, a really good tip that I got from a person when I was working for a tech company in the UK, um, I was furious about something and he was the project manager and he was standing beside me and I was, you know, going off about, you know, whatever injustice I thought had happened. And um, I was in the process of writing an email. And he said, yeah, write it, write it how you feel. Like write it, put in all the words that you want to put in it, right? Write it exactly how you feel. Um, don't put any name in the to yeah. section. Or if you do, email it to yourself. So put yourself in the yeah. to. So definitely don't put the person who you're writing yeah. it to in there. So if you want to put it, Write it to yourself. Give yourself enough time to reflect, whether that be, and I always say 24 hours, so go sleep, sleep on it. it. Yeah. Come back and, and edit it like you couldn't give a damn, right? And you will then land on the perfect yeah. tone because it's all about the tone, right? So if you do feel you have to put something in writing, mm -hmm. that's that was some great uh, career advice. I think that saved me a lot of, you know, in the moment, you know, you're an idiot kind of emails yeah. to probably someone a lot more senior than me and um, and regretting it the minute I press send. I also have a three-minute lag on my emails. That's um, 
I don't know whether that's career advice or just good admin because if you're anything like me, I write it and then I go, oh, I should have copied Ash on that. Oh, I can recover it. So that's just a admin thing. I like, I like that. <laughs> there is nothing worse than a keyboard warrior. I like oh, that advice. Yeah. I do that as well. I'll write it out, put it in drafts. And then I'll sleep on it, come back and go, oh, wow, Ashley was in a horrible mood yesterday. Let's redo that one. Yeah. It, and and if you take the higher moral ground, you know, there are some idiots that will drag you down the whole time, right? Yeah. They, that's that's just life. And, you know, they might make up 5% of the population. I don't know. Yeah. Um, you're never going to win with them. They will always go one lower less than you. You know, like you just never win. So, yeah, write it to yourself, take the emotion out, and you'll probably land on about the right tone. Definitely take the cursive language out of it. In your head. You have it in your head, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I always have, yeah, have this thing, don't ever do anything if you feel in a negative tone because you only see negativity, you only do it. So that's my sort yeah. of advice that links in very nicely with you. I agree. And the last one, sorry, Ash, and the yeah. last one I would say is just always be a learner. So... You know, don't, and I don't even care whether it's a curiosity in procurement or it's about world events in, you know, Russia and Ukraine or what's going on with Brexit when it was going through or what's happening in the United States. I don't really care where you find your passion for learning sitting, but but just be, be an, a life learner. Um, that would be my other career advice. Makes you more interesting as a person. Yeah, it does. And I think something that really fits in with that one is even if you have a leader that's made a decision that you don't agree with, I always come in and go, look, for my own learning, growth and development, can you explain to me why you chose that so then I can learn to maybe there was something I've missed completely and gone, oh, I did not think of it. I always ask that from a good intention to go, yes, tell me why you chose this option so I can learn to be a better leader. And it really, you learn a lot because you, yeah. you're stuck in one option B and they chose option A and you're like, what are you doing? Just ask it from that good intention as well. Absolutely. I think you're right. I don't think many people come to work to make other people's lives miserable. Like yeah. I said, there might be that 5%, but yeah. most people come to work to, you know, either at the bare minimum get paid. Um, yeah. But most people come to work to do a good job, you know, for the job that they were hired for. And then they haven't come in to make your day miserable. But, yeah, you're right, they might be having a bad day and that's translated in, you know, a, a, a miss in terms of the communication style that they've presented to you. So talking about styles and, I guess, skills, what do you think are, like, the top, let's say two or three skills that a procurement professional needs? Like as you're like, you're a head of procurement sort of department, what do you look for going through that sort of process? Look, I think relationship is key, right? Building um, good connections, networks, relationships, because without effective communication, it doesn't matter what you're selling, what you're buying, you know, you're, you're going to struggle to get cut through. And, you know, big corporations like the ones that I'm used to working in have such different um, personalities all around you. So you've got to be able to be adaptive to their style, to understand what, you know, what will get them to yes, um, you know, yes, I support that strategy or yes, go ahead and spend that money or whatever you want to call it. I I definitely think relationships and, and, and building strong relationships and networks in a corporate environment is really important. 
Um, I think wanting to constantly improve. So, and with that, you know, I think about organisations that I've worked for and I think my job is to make them grow, grow in profit, grow in revenue, grow in maybe core product offering, whatever it is, it's it's to grow. And so, you know, um, the, the reality about doing that is really about understanding what I need to do to make that happen. So aligning strategically with their priorities, being able to convert that into what does that mean for procurement? What does that mean for our team? What does that mean for our stakeholders? Having those big conversations. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I think also, you know, one of the things that I really like to do is make, you know, because I'm a corporate services and technology lead here in Rio. And so sometimes I'm presenting pretty big ideas about, you know, where I want to take a, a, a procurement strategy. And with that, I need the person who's listening to me to believe that I'm a safe pair of hands. And, you know, if they say yes to me, then they know that, you know, I'm going to be responsible for getting the outcome that I've said I'm looking to get for them, with them, um, that they know that I'm collaborative, that I'm always going to communicate, that there's no secrets, you know, if we're going down a wobbly path, you know, they'll know about it from me and we course correct as we go. So it's about that trusted partnership, um, you know, working with, you know, your stakeholders and your suppliers. And the last thing I would say, honestly, um, is is and it, it's around that improvement piece, right? So um, where I talk about improvement linking to growth, it's about so how do we look do more with less isn't what I isn't where it, it lands, but it's almost the concept, right? So how do we innovate? How do we digitize? How do we automate some of those straight through processes so that we can do more with the people that we've got? Um, we don't want to lose people. We want to keep the same people. But, you know, if you asked everybody, would you rather be doing cooler stuff? You know, most people go, yeah, I want to be doing the really coolest, you know, give me a BHAG, give me that that stuff that sits out there, that unicorn, because that's where I want to work. Well, you can't do that when you're bogged down with, you know, stuff that isn't, isn't innovative. So I think as, as a leader in procurement, you know, I need to be curious and look at, you know, growing our ability to automate some of the processes that are repetitive, rules-based, because I'm not really adding a lot of value by having a person, you know, clip the ticket on the way through with that stuff. So, so yeah, so I don't know if that answered your question yeah. succinctly enough, but they're the things that are on my mind at the moment about what I need to do to be successful and where I, yeah, where I want to place my next year or two in the focus of just delivering some really big big things big you know yeah yeah I'm excited about the next two years yeah. quite frankly yeah anyone applying for a Rio Tinto we now know what Billy wants so there you go your <laughs> first hand for that one I love that that was literally a mixture of my next question which is what are you focusing on which literally you just answered that ahead of time so she's great, great like that <laughs> so my final sneaky question for you Ooh, and your eyes are okay. twitch because you like to be in control and know what's going on <laughs> Quite simple is, do you have like a career motto or quote that you live by? 
Yes. You can have it all. You just can't have it all at once. Oh, I nearly choked on it. So you can have it all. You can have an amazing life, amazing career, amazing family. But I do think that for most of us, unless you're fortunate enough to, I don't know, whatever, yeah. <laughs> um, you you have to prioritise as you go along your life journey. And you don't need to, you know, kill yourself by trying to have it all at once. Yeah. I've taken years out. I took a gap year when my daughters were six and nine. My husband and I went backpacking around the world. You know, I worried that in the middle of my career that would be career limiting. I spoke to, and not to name drop, but Tanya Siri was in the room with Betsy Harrington and I was there sitting there going, I think I've made the wrong decision. You know, I've just been a CPO at Bank of Queensland. This is, you know, my time. And I remember Betsy saying, ah, you'll never be dead. She's got an American <laughs> accent. I'm not going to ever try to, to, to pretend to be Betsy. But she said, oh, you know, you, you're, you'll be dead in your gravestone and no one all that, you know, you won't be there on your deathbed saying, oh, I wish I had have, you know, worked a year longer and not taken that gap year. Whereas, you may go, I had an opportunity to travel around the world backpacking with my family. A thing that my husband and I, when we were just dating, we were backpacking, coming back from the UK to Australia, and we took a six-month time to get here. And we remember seeing a family with three children, back, you know, they were backpacking and they were in um, Naxos, which is a little island in Greece. And I remember us both turning and saying, oh, my God, if we have kids, it would be very cool to go backpacking. Yeah. So... I don't know how many years later it was, probably nine if I think, because I think I I think I might have been pregnant with Cam. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, but we made it happen. And um, the point being is that, you know, I did come back, you know, I did find my career, pick it up, you know. I don't really care now whether I lost the opportunity to be in Simon Richmond's shoes, you know, the VP of Procurement for Rio. I don't really care because I'm enormously happy and grateful that I took that year and, you know, no one ever takes those moments away from you. You know, as a mother anyway, I found it to be enormously um, rewarding as a, as a human being um, to have that opportunity. That. So, yeah, you can have it all, you can just not all at once. I like that. I like that. I'll teach myself that daily <laughs> when I'm all stressed out. I'll tell myself that. Yeah. Well, honestly, thank you so much for your time today. As I said, we've tried to keep it pretty short for us. I'm very proud of us right now. We should be, you know, pat on the back for that. But thank you so much, Billy. And I hope everyone listening today has really got something out of it. If you have any questions at all, maybe shoot them through to Billy or myself. Um, you can find us on LinkedIn. But honestly, thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, thanks, Ash. It's been a pleasure. It's always wonderful connecting with you. So thank you.